Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Regular listeners know that I'm a big fan of mountain biking at night, and having a reliable bright light is crucial. Glowworm is a mountain bike light brand founded almost a decade ago by two mountain bikers in New Zealand. Today, the company offers some of the most customizable, highest quality bike lights on the market. Glowworm's complete line of lights start at 1,200 lumens and range up to a blinding 3,400 lumens, all at reasonable prices. There are a few things Glowworm does differently that makes their lights unique and highly customizable. The optics can be swapped at home depending on the types of trails you ride, and their lights use standard GoPro style and quarter turn mounts. Many of the Glowworm lights work with a bar-mounted remote, which can be used to control one or more of their lights at once. Right now, Glowworm is offering 15% off all light systems on their website with the coupon code SINGLETRACKS2020. Go to glowwormlights.co.nz. That's G-L-O-W-O-R-M-L-I-T-E-S dot co dot N-Z. Or click the link in the show notes to take advantage of this offer. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff and today Matt and Jero and I are going to be talking about some of our favorite products that we've tested this year, 2020. So we're going to go through a number of categories, including components, accessories, wearables, and of course, mountain bikes. And a lot of this content you're actually not going to find on single tracks. I mean, we've reviewed, we've written reviews and published them about all of these items, but we haven't necessarily shared which ones were our favorites from the year. So let's get into it, starting with components. So under components, I'm thinking stuff like brakes, suspension, dropper posts, tires, basically anything, most things that you're going to attach to your bike. So, Jero, you had a favorite set of tires, right? What, uh, Which tires were you really stoked on this year? Yeah, I think the the coolest tires I rode this year, which I've, I've ridden before, were the Magic Marys. I've ridden them on a few bikes, but this was the first time that I really like pushed them and kind of thought about how they reacted and took notes and they're just really nice and predictable um, in kind of any conditions no matter what the trail they're not terrible to climb on for a gravity tire and i haven't managed to puncture them yet so i'm pretty stoked wow nice are they pretty heavy i imagine if if they're so durable yeah decently heavy i think the super gravity are like 1200 to 1300 grams so not I don't know. Not as heavy as a wire bead, but they're up there for sure. Matt, you were stoked on a set of tires that you tested as well. Uh, tell us about those. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are probably the most notable tires for me that I I rode this summer in that they weren't like super heavy, still had decent grip and, and traction, um, and were durable, which I don't know, might be my favorite element of a good tire. Uh, but it was the versus tires and they're a brand new company this year direct to consumer people get 
kind of picky about the price and stuff because they're not, I mean, it's still 65 bucks a tire. So if you're comparing it with, you know, a deal you can find online, you're not really saving um, a ton of money, but if you're buying it from a bike shop, then I mean, you could probably save like 20 or 30 bucks because tires at bike shops are pricey. So they only have one model right now. It's like an all mountain tire and it's just kind of good for everything. They only have one width too, 2.4. And yeah, I mean, they just, they had really good traction, a really different cornering feel. I mean, just a lot of grip in the corners and they rolled well. So, I mean, kind of this good balance between rolling resistance, um, and grip and traction and I didn't have any punctures on them. So <laughs> yeah, I was stoked. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's a key feature of any tire thing. Most of us would agree. I actually had a set of tires as well. And also I should say, I, I sort of lied at the intro saying that, that we didn't share all of our favorites, um, online. So we actually did round up our favorite tires. Um, and we, we published that already. Um, I think there were seven tires that we picked as sort of our favorites among the three of us. Um, and then we also are working on a similar roundup of our favorite bikes that we tested, which we'll get to at the very end of this podcast, but back to tires. So my favorite set of tires that I tested this year was the Terravail Honcho. And actually, I guess technically it was the end of last year, but it's been within the last 12 months. And, you know, Terravail is not like a super well-known tire brand. They're relatively new. And the Honcho is, it's just a good all-rounder tire. You know, it's not super heavy. Um, it's also not, you know, like the tires that Matt and Jero picked. Um, it's probably not going to stand up to, you know, hard riding and Duro or that sort of thing. As an all-rounder tire, they offer it in 27.5 and 29er diameters um, in a few different tire widths. I think I, I tested a 2.4 and a 2.6. So the number of tire widths and it's only 65 bucks, like the Versus that Matt was talking about, which is a pretty good price for tires these days, um, especially if you're paying retail price. So Jero, uh, let's move on from tires. What else did you try this year that you really liked? I think one of my favorite components I got to test this year was the Selva R fork from Formula. It's a dual chamber air sprung fork with seven different valve tunes so you can change the tune of the fork at home it takes like five minutes um and you're effectively doing the same thing that you would kind of the same thing you would get if you sent your fork in and had the had the valves changed and had the shim stack swapped around so it's pretty sweet um it's the only fork i know of that you can do that with by yourself uh and also it's made in italy which is kind of cool it's kind of rare that a bike part particularly a component like this is made in the place where it's designed. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. yeah. They're doing a lot lately, aren't they? Yeah. They've got all kinds of cool stuff going on. They just got a, a coil shock just came out from them that I'm testing right now. And yeah, I also just tested their switched this same fork over to a coil fork, which was really nice. I'm still, still riding that it feels amazing. It's so smooth. I mean, it definitely, it's uh, even more gravity oriented than before. It adds 200 grams, so it's not nothing, but it feels really nice. It's just a cool, super versatile component. Nice. Matt, you had a couple of suspension items on your list, right? The MRP fork, which one was that? It's the Raven, actually. Um, they just came out with it last year. 
And it's basically just a more uh, affordable option from MRP. So it, it kind of cuts out um, a few of the features that some of their more expensive forks have, like the ramp control, where you can basically just adjust the ramp up on the fly. So instead it just uses, well, they call it huck pucks, but they're volume spacers that you would just manually put in and adjust, yeah, not on the fly. Uh, but it feels great. So like I use this, they have this program ready to shred and they kind of set me up through that. And, uh, it's awesome. Like I, I spent a lot of time trying to set up and tune this Olin's fork, uh, when I had it and with this ready to shred program, there's just a nice break because I sent them my weight, my writing style and everything. And they, set the pressures for both air springs and added a volume spacer. I'll need to add another one. And then they cut the steer tube and install the right crown race for my headset. And it's just like, yeah. So it's for consumers, it's like 40 bucks and it's totally worth the money. And you just throw it on and you don't have to like saw your steer tube in the garage for like an hour. <laughs> and yeah, like it, it felt it it feels great so far. Like it's just a very simplified tuning process. I'm going to mess with it a little bit. I'm going to add another huck puck, but yeah, it, it feels great. So, um, yeah, really supportive and, um, supportive while not being harsh or anything at all. Yeah. It just feels like a really, really good fork. Sweet. And then what about the rear shock that you were stoked about this year? Yeah. So that one is from Olin's also. And, Again, like a versus the Olin's fork I tested, the Olin shock was just a different experience in that it felt great right away. And um yeah, I mean it's expensive. It's like seven eighty, I believe. So it's kinda in the realm of those really premium and adjustable shocks, but it does feel really, really good. Sweet. One of the products that stood out to me over the last 12 months uh, are a set of brakes from TRP, the G-Spec brakes. And for the bike that I put them on, honestly, I was thinking, you know, these are going to be overkill. They're four-piston brakes. They're, you know, I think Aaron Gwynn ran them or was involved in the design or or whatever. So super premium brakes. Um, and I threw them on a hardtail thinking, again, yeah, it was just going to be overkill. But man, they're my favorite brakes. Like they work so well <laughs> compared to every other set that I get, you know, like on a test bike or whatever. I'm always anxious to get back to, to those brakes on my own bike. Yeah. They, and they look really good, like really nice finishes on them. And they're, I guess you would say they're fairly affordable, $199 per brake, but you do. Yeah, but you do have to spring for the rotors separately for another 60 bucks. And the rotors are, they're super premium rotors. So well worth the investment and in, in getting that combo right. Jerome, did you have another product that, that you were stoked on this year? Yeah, I just real quick wanted to ask you about the pads and those brakes first. Yeah, like how are they? So TRP has their own pads, right? They're not like a. Uh, using an aftermarket uh yes how are they holding up like uh, did they last pretty well through the summer yeah they, yeah they've held up really well i mean honestly i guess i can't 
I can't say too much because I don't get to ride my own bike as much as I would like to. You know, I'm always on other test bikes and, and maybe that's why they feel good is because they're still like <laughs> pretty fresh. But yeah, they seem to be holding up really well. And I'd ride in some pretty nasty conditions, especially on the hardtail. That's the bike that, you know, I'm not afraid to bring out if it's a little moist or, or wet on the trail. Yeah. So yeah, they have, they have held up really well. I've been, been impressed with them. Sweet. Yeah. That's, that's kind of why I was wondering. So I know you like to ride when it's muddy as well. <laughs> yeah. Never, never on, you know, trails where I'm making a mess, but yeah. Just making a mess of yourself. Just caveat that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I got a set of their DHR Evos on my bike. Well, the review just came out today. And I, yeah, I've had the same experience. I mean, they just they just work and the bite doesn't change at all. Um, they don't fade. Uh, they're powerful. They, yeah, they just work all the time. So it's great. Yeah, yeah. We might be getting a chance to test their derailleur and shifter at some point in the near future here. So oh, nice. cool. Yeah, that could be sweet. Uh, speaking of mud and rain, I tested or am testing. I'm in the middle of testing, I guess, some of the new Hope Fortis 30 wheels. And so they have an aluminum rim hand built in the UK with, I mean, you know, they're sort of time tested hubs that everybody kind of knows really well last forever. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the feel of the wheel, I've been riding a lot of carbon wheels lately and i really appreciate these aluminum rims like they just feel <laughs> amazing they track well enough like they're they're still stiff enough that i don't feel like i i'm not wishing i had a carbon rim ever even in like super fast dry dirt um they feel just as precise as i need them to um while at the same time like they're a fair bit more flexible like you can feel um you know, they're just not as, as jittery and chattery on when it gets really rocky and trail gets super messy. Yeah. They help out quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're not, you're not easy on any product by any means. Um, you're going to ride things hard, but do you find yourself riding differently on a set of aluminum wheels than carbon? Even if they're carbon test wheels and you're like, I don't care if I destroy these things, that's my job. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, not by choice, but I have tested some carbon wheels and I have a review coming out soon of a certain pair that are too stiff, in my opinion. And so they force me to ride a little differently and run pressure that's a little lower sometimes, actually, because I don't care if I break the rim. That's not the point. Like I'm testing it. So if it breaks, then we know it'll break. But yeah, there's just there's some of them where the cross section of the rim and the layup, I imagine the layup of the carbon is such that they're just too stiff. There's just no give. And you also hit the rim all the time because the rim doesn't sort of ovalize when you hit a big compression. Instead, it stays rigid and then you end up with more flat tires and more problems. So it's definitely a trade off with carbon wheels. Um, and I'm kind of thankful to not be riding them at the moment yeah and that that fits with you know matt your recent opinion piece about you know weight not being the most important thing and yeah i mean it seems like a big reason that people prefer carbon a lot of times is because a rim is going to weigh a lot less a carbon rim although not all the time um, but it is rotational weight and yet yeah jero's pointing out that 
there are definitely some trade-offs there in terms of durability and flat protection and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's kind of like one of the uh, one of the things I was talking about yesterday. And I was riding this Rocky Mountain altitude and um, shooting the review for that. Is that it's a nine? It's over a nine thousand dollar bike, and it has aluminum rims on it. And so I'm like, well, it just kind of feels like carbon wheel territory uh, to me for that price. But at the same time, it's like it's the rally edition and what the Rocky Mountain Raceface enduro team uses so most enduro well i guess a lot of enduro riders right Joe, like prefer an aluminum rim so that they're not out of a race if they crack open a rim on a on a stage that might be why i am uh, i'm still running tubes that the bike shipped with and have smashed the rims on a lot of rocks and i haven't flatted it's like incredible <laughs> huh so matt you tested some wheels this year uh were you stoked on any of the ones that you tried out yeah, I've been, so I haven't tested any, uh, different mountain bike wheels. Well, the review came out this year. I had them mounted up last year and got some more riding on them. Um, and then I got a set of their gravel wheels too, and just started riding those recently, but they're from Hunt, uh, UK brand. And they're growing quite a bit also as a direct consumer wheel company. So the prices you get are like unreal for, for carbon wheel sets and they're good wheel sets. Uh, they feel great. So, you know, I mean, talk about a new carbon wheel set and you're talking easily 1500 for most of them. And, uh, both of these are 800 or under, I mean, they 780, but oh wow, all said and done probably about 800. And, um, yeah, so I've had a year on these hunt mountain bike wheels. Now they still feel awesome. Engagement in the hub hasn't changed at all no cracks. Yeah, they still feel great. And then I just mounted up a set of their gravel wheels on my gravel bike and they feel great too. So I had it on dirt a few days ago and yeah, just stiff, responsive, not too harsh. Yeah. They feel awesome. Yeah. Nice. Well, one of the products that I'm currently testing is a new dropper post from PNW. And honestly, actually, I don't even know the name of it. I don't know. I think it's a new one. It's, it's a new dropper post that hasn't been released yet, but the one I've been testing has 200 millimeters of travel. Hopefully I'm not giving away anything there, but it's, it's been awesome so far. Super easy to set up and. You know, I've been a fan of PNW for a while now. Their dropper posts usually offer a really good value. I don't think they have any that are priced over 300 bucks. Everything's under 300. A lot of them I think are under 200. You can find some PNW models for 199 or so. But yeah, it's just another quality, like solid dropper post from them. And yeah, again, it was super easy to set up and I was riding on it right away, you know, 10 minutes after setting it up, I was out for a 30 mile ride and thing worked flawlessly. And yeah, I'm stoked to write up the review and to dig in a little more to find out like what's different because BMW has so many different models in their line. It's actually kind of hard to keep track of like what's different between the models, but this one does have some interesting features that probably shouldn't talk about since it's not out yet, but um, look forward to that review soon. Um, cause it's definitely, it's definitely a good product. 
Okay, so let's move on to accessories. So accessories, I'm thinking stuff like tools and lights, electronics, hip packs, that kind of thing um, that we bring along for the ride or maybe sometimes we mount to the bike. Jero, you're, for some reason, I feel like you're a watch guy. Maybe just because you've reviewed a lot of watches. Are you into watches? I'm into tracking rides and I don't like strapping things to my handlebars, no matter what they are. Lights computers bells i don't put anything on the handlebars i don't have to i just i don't know i don't really know why i just don't like it maybe i crash a lot so that could be why yeah that's what i was gonna ask and then you stand up and you're like oh where'd that 800 hundred dollar computer go (laughs) (laughs) it's on your wrist you know where it is and it's still there so yeah i just uh try and try and avoid that yeah but i did recently test and review the polar grit x watch and it is a super sweet piece of kit it's uh it's a little expensive it's retails for around 430 bucks mm-hmm. it's packed full of yeah yeah for sure i mean you can buy two of some other computers for that price um <laughs> so you gotta want you gotta want the features that it has mm-hmm. it's really training focused it's like tells you when to or you can have it tell you when to eat and drink and if you're getting enough sleep and compare your training to your last week's training and even set up different programs and add things with your coach and yeah it's just it's super super training focused but there also is are ways to add in files and use it for navigation and that's what i focus on and that's that was my main main use with it is you know either following somebody else's track or making a track of some new place i hadn't written yet and for that it works fantastic it's super nice Um, It's also quite a bit lighter than a lot of watches in its kind of size range with the same amount of view, the same amount of features and stuff you can see. So, Mm. and last plug, the battery is absolutely amazing. Like the thing just lasts forever. It's sitting in front of me right now and I haven't plugged it in. Oh, I don't know. It's been at least a week and it's at 60%. So nice. Yeah. Wow. And you, you use it, I'm sure a lot. I mean, you ride every day. And not like short rides either. Yeah, I mean, I that's that's true. And it's um, I'm also testing another watch at the moment, so it gets swapped out about every other day. But yeah, I mean, that's three or four days a week that I'm out with it for a couple hours, and it it holds up. So yeah, the battery is super impressive. That's awesome. This one's like it's like uh, wearing your mother on your wrist tells you when to go to sleep and eat more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had an honorable mention on my list, another watch, the Garmin Forerunner 235. And that was one, I guess, that you reviewed. It was at least a year ago, Jero. Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, and I remember reading your review, and I was like, that thing sounds pretty cool. So I ended up buying one like on Amazon Prime Day last year uh, for you know, a really good price. I mean, it only retails for like $165 and... I've seen some refurbished ones online for like 125. So, yeah, you could buy three of those for the price of Jero's uh, Polar Grit X. But yep, <laughs> it does. It still has a color screen. It does the sleep tracking, heart rate, obviously all the GPS functions. It doesn't have navigation. So, you know, when I go out for a ride, I'm usually tracking the ride on my watch because it's got the heart rate and all that stuff. But then I also have a GPS on the bars. You know, if I'm trying to follow a trail or if I'm riding in town and, you know, trying to navigate the city grid. But, uh, yeah, 
I've been really stoked with that and would definitely recommend it. So Matt, what's one of the products that uh, impressed you this year? Ooh, my picks are a bit more simpler, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, uh, well, electronics are, they're a ton of work to, to test. I mean, it just takes a lot of fiddling and messing to see its full capability. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a, a computer last year, Wahoo, and I, I still love that. Use it a ton. Nothing this year. So still been using my Fidlock bottles a ton. Like I really like those and the new ones are, they feel a lot better. They're more flexible, easy to, easier to squirt in your mouth when you're on the trail. And mm. so the, the previous ones are a little bit more rigid. So yeah, not as easy to squeeze, but yeah, I mean, I just, I like the, the look of the Fidlock a little bit better than mounting a cage and I don't lose them. They're always there, always in the same spot, a little bit pricier, but yeah, I mean, if it's like, if you're the kind of person who puts a lot of money into your bike and you want it to look nice and simple and clean, it, it definitely helps with that. Cause you don't, you know, you don't have to have a cage on there. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. I just got my first Fidlock bottle this week. And I love those things. Like, I'm already stoked on it. Oh, this is so simple. I don't have to find the cage and cram it in there and all this stuff. It just kind of figures out how to put itself back on the bike. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty great. Yeah, they're easy to use on the fly, too. Yeah, I think I just saw a a press release. Maybe it's under embargo right now, but it won't be by the time this podcast is out. Uh, It looks like they have some kind of, like, bag thing, too, or like a storage thingy that's not a water bottle. Uh, but it's, yeah, you can put your tools or whatever and slap that into your Fidlock magnet mounts. It looks pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of on bike storage, uh, I've been really stoked on this Topeak burrito pack, which is, it's basically one of these like tool roll kind of things, you know, where you open it up and it's flat with some pockets and things. And I've been using it to keep my flat repair kit in it. So I put like a tube and a mini pump and levers and tire plugs. And I think I'm forgetting something else, but yeah, there's all that flat repair stuff that I hate, like trying to remember which pack it's in or whatever. And it's just easy to like put it all in the burrito pack and then you secure it to your seat. And, uh, yeah, it's just super easy to do and it works with a dropper post as well, which is nice. You know, a lot of seat bags, you got to be careful with that. Um, but yeah, this one works really well. I wish it was a little bit bigger. I had to find like a really mini, mini pump to actually fit in it and like still be able to fold it down. Um, and then also, you know, if you're running big wheels, like I am 29 or tube, a regular one, I mean, it probably fits in there, but it doesn't leave room for much else. So um, I've been using the uh, Tubalito tubes, which are way smaller, but they're also really pricey. And um, yeah, not they're not for everybody, but the burrito pack is 40 bucks, which is not too bad. And yeah, again, it's, it's super handy to have. Jero, I noticed you have couple of Topeak items on your list and Matt does too. So that's crazy. Oh, yeah. All right. So Jero, let's, let's hear your picks and then, and then Matt Suspect. will go. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of, when it comes to uh, accessories, I'm kind of into anything that allows me to not wear a bag or use a bag. So if I can strap it to my frame or fit it in my pocket, it's awesome probably. And Topeak <laughs> has this 2B 
18 multi-tool. Um, it's got one half of it is a slot to hold a bunch of the little like rubber worms that you can plug punctures with. And then one of the tools in the multi-tool is a puncture plug. So, and it's the handles large enough that you can use it to shove a plug in. I've already used it once and it worked just as well as any other puncture plug. Um, but it's super small. It's, you know, you can throw it in your pocket with your phone and there's still, you know, it's not, I don't find it super annoying and it's pretty affordable. It's 30 bucks, I think roughly or 30 euros. So probably less in dollars. And then, um, did I say the other one too? Okay. Okay. The dual action mountain pump. Uh, it's just a pump, I guess, but it's, it pumps faster, which is awesome because when I do <clears throat> kind of rarely get a flat, I just am frustrated the whole time. So the faster it can be over with, the better. And this one pumps air on the opening and the closing stroke, which is pretty awesome. Gets it over with pretty quick. It's relatively small. You can, I mean, you could fit it in your pocket if you had to, I guess, but I just strap it to my frame next to my tube and it works fine. And it's yeah. like 20 bucks, pretty affordable. So. Wow, yeah, it's a nice. sweet option. Yeah. How big is it? Does it have a pretty big chamber on it? Uh, yeah, it is pretty good size actually. Um, I mean, it's a fair bit wider than a CO2. It's actually maybe wider than any of my other pumps in terms of yeah, like the diameter of the cylinder. Mm-hmm. But in length, I would guess it's like seven inches, maybe. Okay. Yeah, so it's not huge. Maybe eight, I guess. Yeah. Um, reasonable nice. to like strap next to your water bottle or whatever with the tube yeah. and doesn't have to scratch the frame that way. So pretty well. Yeah. That's, that's interesting too. I, I definitely have to check that one out because you mentioned their multi-tool. Like my favorite multi-tool is probably one of the toe peaks, not the same one you mentioned, but it's a different one. And then, um, yeah, mini pumps. I hate every mini pump. Like you said, it's no fun to use them. <laughs> But if I had to pick one, like my go-to one, yeah, is also a toe peak. Um, but it's got the little, I don't know, does the one you're describing have the little like fold-out uh, foot peg on the bottom? That's a feature that I, I really dig on mine. Yeah. No, this one doesn't. Roger. All right. Matt, what do you got from toe peak? Well, my toe peak item is way too big to bring on the trail. Um so they just sent out uh, the Prep Stand Pro, and it's a, uh, I mean, I guess it's a premium, like flagship bike stand. So it's a little pricier; it's three hundred bucks, um, but it is really, really easy to use. There's like, I guess it's like a little crank arm on the side, so it makes just opening. Uh, I don't know what do you call them, the jaws, the jaws that hold your tubes uh, really quick and easy, and. Probably my favorite feature so far is there's a little scale on top, uh, which is just really easy for our job. So, um, I mean, you can just open up your dropper post and add it on this little, it's like a rubberized pad on top, turn on the scale and it'll tell you the weight. So obviously it's not going to be something that most consumers will find the need for. But hey, a lot of people have turned into bike mechanics during COVID and are like working on their neighbor's bikes and stuff out of their garage. So uh, maybe they will. Um, either way, it's a pretty sweet stand. It's really easy to use. Um, comes with a carry case. 
So yeah, nice if you're working on a lot of bikes. Yeah. Does it have like a little tool tray with it or is there one that you can buy and add to it? I'm sure there's one you can, you can buy on their site. It didn't include one. Um, so, but yeah, I'm sure there's one on, on Topeak that you can find. Mm, yeah. Yeah. None of mine have that. And that's like the thing that I always need. I'm so bad about just like putting little bolts like down on the floor while I'm working and I'm like, where, where is that thing? Tools. I'm always like, yeah, bending down, standing up. Good thing to have. Yes, totally. Well, uh, one of the other products that I really like that I got this year, but haven't really had a chance to use fully is the Thule round trip duffel. And this is like a duffel bag from Thule that is designed to carry bike stuff specifically. So, you know, it's got a dedicated spot for helmet. It's got a, a zippered pocket for shoes. That's kind of like waterproof and like sealed off from the rest of the bag. So like all your clothes don't stink. Um, and then it's got, what I really like is this sort of like honeycomb, uh, like set of dividers inside the bag that lets you roll up your clothes. So you like roll up your Jersey or your shorts or whatever, and you put them into each one of these slots. So it keeps everything like super organized. Um, so you're not like, you know, you pull out one thing and, and before you know it, like the end of the trip, you can't tell what's clean or dirty or like, you know, none of your stuff's folded nicely anymore. You can't find anything. This thing is super easy because you can just look from the top and you can find exactly the jersey or the set of arm warmers that you're looking for or whatever. And I did use the bag. I believe I used it when I went to Baja um, for a bike trip in March. No. February. And it, I mean, it was great. Like one bag fits the carry on requirements for most airlines. And this was like a five day bike trip and I fit everything that I needed, you know, all the bike clothes, my camp clothes, um, photo equipment, like everything that I needed into this one bag and didn't have to check a bag or anything. So super sweet item um, that, yeah, I'm stoked to, to use for many years to come. Uh, the bag I think is priced at like 120 bucks, um, but definitely worth it in my opinion over. Yeah, definitely better than a, just a regular old duffel. All right, Matt, uh, you also had something from Thule double mentions here. Oh yeah. So that's their new helium platform rack that they, they've been talking about for a bit. I think they just became available this spring. But I just started using that, and again, it's a pretty pre uh, premium rack at $800. So that's, I mean, it's just kind of the territory you're getting with these big platform hitch racks. Um, you know, if you're talking about uh, 1UP or the Saris modular tray rack and now the Thule Helium. So it's the same style uh, platform rack. It's working great so far. I mean, yeah, the only contact it makes is on your tires. So it's just the little trays that kind of come up and, and clamp into your tires and everything. But yeah, I mean, great features on it. The cable locks are pretty worthless They're I mean, they're just like the keep honest people, honest locks. You could probably, you probably cut it with a good pair of hedge trimmers. So 
maybe bring a different lock if you're going to be in the store for a while after a ride or, or whatever. Um, I usually do anyway, but, um, yeah, easy to use and it works really well into the hitch receiver in that it's kind of got this feature on the bottom of it where you twist into it and this piece kind of slides and expands out. And so, yeah, it, it ends up fitting the hitch receiver really well and you lock it down. Um, and I haven't had any movement or wiggle from it at all. It's been on there for at least like two or three weeks right now. Still really, really quiet, simple to use and kind of innovative in that regard. Yeah. Nice. Was there anything else that tickled your fancy in the accessories category, Matt? Yeah, I'd say one more thing. And that's, um, again, kind of a simple thing, but like when it comes down to it, packs are just, there's something you use often throughout the summer. And so finding a good one, I think is hard to do. And it makes a huge difference if you're out on all day rides and stuff. So this Camelback Chase Vest, I've really dug. And it's like, it's like if you cut off the bottom third of a regular Camelback and just kind of move things up the back a little bit. So still a hydration pack. You're still going to sweat and everything, but it's enough cargo and enough water for all day rides. And it's way more comfortable than a full hydration pack. One of my complaints about hip packs too, and why I usually only use them for lunch rides is that I feel like no matter what, they just interfere with, um, with my shorts line and like make my shorts sag over the day. And it's just like the last thing I want to deal with on a, a really long, like weekend mm-hmm. day ride. Yeah. And you, you don't get that with, uh, with this chase vest and it doesn't, you don't get like the sore tight shoulders and stuff that you get with uh, a lot of hydration packs too. So nice sweet. Well, that's a good segue into the next category of wearables. So um, these are specifically, I guess we're going to talk about like eyewear, jerseys, shorts, shoes, helmets, that sort of thing. Let's start off with jackets. I think we all have a jacket on here uh, that we were stoked about. Jero, what was your favorite jacket of 2020? Uh, well, I've got a few in to test, but the I think my favorite one so far, because I've used it and it's amazing, is the Endura MT500 which they, they kind of come out with a new one every few years. And this one is top notch for sure. I, uh, I had it with me. It arrived, I think the day I left to go to photograph the Zermatt EWS race. And it was freezing cold there, snowing and just, I don't know, the, the worst weather you could possibly imagine (laughs) to want to ride a bike in. And most people did not (laughs) want to ride a bike. And I felt pretty fortunate to have that thing on. Like I actually stayed dry, even though it was dumping rain mm-hmm. and stayed relatively warm with a layer on underneath it. And it was really easy to regulate temperature. It has a, a hood that you can fit over your helmet. And I, I had never done that before, but standing mm-hmm. in the rain, taking photos, I learned to really appreciate that thing. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I think if you live somewhere where you have to ride in hard rain, you, yeah, will yeah. use a hood and it felt great. Like it held in more heat and was a really, I, don't, I was thankful for that feature for sure. The first time. Yeah. Nice. Is it a packable jacket? No, it's, I mean, maybe in a, if you have like a larger backpack, yeah, it would 
even just a regular backpack, maybe like the one Matt's talking about, if you rolled it up tight, but it's definitely not designed to be packable. Mm. It's designed more. It's I think it's like a three layer. I mean, the point is definitely keeping water out first and foremost. Yeah. Interesting. What about you, Matt? What, did you try any jackets this year that you really liked? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't get any rain jackets like that this year. Um, some stuff from Gore, which is always nice. Like I, yeah, I mean they just they make great rain gear that's usually light and impeccable. Um, always a little bit more on the expensive end, but you know you you kind of get what you pay for with Gore. Uh, yeah, I'd say I've, I've got a couple of nice fall pieces. Um, some really nice like insulated shirts and stuff from Pearl Izumi, which have been good because the temperatures are starting to drop out here in Colorado and things are staying dry enough to ride. So it's perfect. I will say, yeah, like brief mention this Velaccio hoodie, uh, just got maybe like a week ago. Mm-hmm. The price is ghastly. It's like, <laughs> it's two fifty for the hoodie. Like I feel bad even mentioning it. Is it um, a pullover or is it zip up? It's a zip up. But it is really, really nice. Um, yeah, and it should be for that price. Uh, reinforced elbows. It's heavier, so it, it feels a little bit warmer, but it doesn't feel like bulky or anything. Mm-hmm. And it's got like a little back hip pocket and everything. So crazy price, but it does yeah. feel really nice. It's like nice. on the so. Kitspo level. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they, I mean, that brand, they definitely are. Um Again, Bellagio is like you, you kind of get what you pay for. The stuff is really pricey, but everybody I've talked to that has also used it loves it. I mean, yeah, really, really good, comfortable apparel. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I got a, a soft shell zip-up hoodie from Pactimo. Uh, I guess it was last year, so probably last season, wintertime, uh, called the Ridgeline. And we actually, I think I talked about it a little bit with Ryan from Paximo uh, when we did a podcast about mountain bike apparel. But yeah, that was just one of those items where I ended up wearing it like every day. And it's kind of different. You know, we joke that like every piece of mountain bike clothing, the marketing copy, you know, goes something like, you know, works great on the bike. Plus you can wear it at the bar. And this one kind of, they kind of flip the script and said, you know, it, it's a good, like all around piece to like wear to work or to the bar. And yet it also works on the bike. And so I found that, yeah, it actually does. It's, it's pretty like form fitting, uh, which helps on the bike. So it's not like super bulky or anything. Um, and with the zipper, you can easily regulate the temperature on it. And because it's a soft shell, it, it breathes fairly well. This one is also pretty pricey, at least to me, $215 uh, for this this hoodie jacket. But, yeah, I, I really like it. And I guess, again, yeah, maybe you get what you pay for if if our favorites happen to be these, like, pretty expensive items, um, which, yeah, is not necessarily always the case. All right, Jero, you got some more... Uh, wearables for us that you were stoked on this year? Yeah, I uh, got to check out. Actually, Matt and I both uh, tested the Giro Ventana shoes. And the Ventana, in my review, I said it was like in between a cross-country shoe and a gravity shoe, and I, I'm still wearing it. And I, 
I think that is still accurate. It's uh, <laughs> it's lighter than a gravity shoe. It's not like covered in tons of foam. Doesn't look like a skateboard shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, breathes a little better. Dries out pretty nice and quickly. Um, yeah, it's just it. It feels great to me. It also looks good. It kind of looks like an indoor soccer shoe, which is <laughs> sort of cool. Matt ran into a problem with the shoe stretching and having to tighten it a fair bit over rides. And I, at the time I wrote the review, hadn't had that issue, but I have since. So we both noticed that like it does kind of open up as you ride and you have to tighten it. Yeah. Is it the lacing system or the, the straps or is it the actual like material of the shoe, the upper? It's a, I'm not sure. That's a really good question because it's a boa shoe. So um, I don't think it's not that. I think it might be the interface between the tongue and the upper shoe. It like kind of stops and feels tight at first and then it moves around. So yeah, I'm not sure, but I definitely have to tighten it every ride. And I like the shoe enough that I don't really care. I just, (laughs) I don't have to stop. I just reach down and turn a dial. It's not a big deal and don't have to like retie anything. So yeah, it's it's not a huge deal. It's a pretty sweet pair of shoes. Definitely not a deal breaker. Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I've had them for a few months now and definitely new favorite shoe to wear. Quick drying, they're comfortable. Yeah, like you said, it, it's it's slim like it would be a, a cross-country shoe, but it feels a little bit more durable and flexible uh, and good for like gravity riding. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like the grip's not terrible as well. Um, seems to be a thing that on some... Oddly, some gravity shoes, especially like folks just forget that you might want to walk up the trail for some reason, um, <laughs> or you just might have to walk anywhere uh, that's steep since we're mountain biking. And yeah, these, these shoes have some decent grip on them. Yeah. yeah. You make a really interesting point too, that, you know, a product doesn't have to be perfect for it to still be awesome or to be one of our favorites. You know, I think maybe if you're reading a product review online and, and then you get to a part like that where you're like, Oh, it, it loosens up. Like, Nope. Next. Like I'm looking for the perfect shoe. And it's like, you know, I mean, you guys are saying it's worth it. Like it's, you know, nothing's perfect. Like it's got problems, but it's still everything else kind of outweighs that. So that's, that's a cool, cool point to make. For sure. Yeah. I would, I would go buy the shoe today. It's great. Nice. Matt, I feel like you tested a few helmets this year, mostly uh, half shells, I guess. Um, so, yeah, was, did one of those stand out for you? That was your favorite? Yeah. I, so I did the Smith Mainline a little bit, too. Uh, just this is like their new full face that a lot of people are stoked about. And that, yeah, actually, that is a great full face helmet. Um, or a few weeks ago at uh, Winter Park here. I don't know that I would say, so I included this Bontrager wave cell. It's, I keep bouncing between that and the other two helmets I tested recently. So I'm like, (laughs) I've got all three in rotation on my rides in the past few weeks. But what I liked about the wave cell helmet is that when Trek or Bontrager like debuted this technology a year ago, I mean, they had like such a big marketing hype up to the release where they were like, you know, sending photos of the material 
in emails and stuff and like, guess what we're coming out with? And everybody's like, we don't know. Like just, just release it. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, cause this stuff kind of looks scaly. So it's that wave sail material. But at first, like their only mountain bike helmet was $300 with it. Yeah. And, um, like, cool. Um, yeah, I'll buy that in like 30 years when I have reached the top of my career chain and have a bunch of money floating around. (laughs) So, but yeah, this past year they came out with the wave cell rally, which is like, it's almost the identical helmet for half the price. Like you lose a couple of features, but they're not, they're not $150 worth of features. Um, so it's good to see them come out with this and just, yeah, straight up slash the price in half and make a decent helmet for, uh, $150 with all these claims and everything. And I've seen so many other people wearing this helmet too. It's yeah. Like when I was in Marquette, I took that helmet with me and I saw three other people on the same ride wearing the helmet. Wow. That's impressive yeah. for, I mean, it's a pretty new release too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's going to be in a lot of bike shops and stuff too. So I'm sure people are picking it up in the bike shops, but mm-hmm. yeah, good helmet. Wow. Nice. Jero, you had a helmet that you were stoked about this year, didn't you? Yeah, I really, there were quite a few, but, um, I think my favorite is the, the Fox speed frame. And, um, I think, you know, there's, I tested several helmets this year that have MIPS and have a Fidlock. Fidlock is, I think, like my first bar. It has to have Fidlock because if my hands are cold, I want to be able to yeah. take it off fast. Yeah, and and have all this kind of the same safety ratings and fit somewhat similarly. Not mm-hmm. Some of them not quite as good as this one. So I guess to weigh all of them out and think like, okay, they're all really great. Which one would I buy today? I think like the last question is which one looks the best. <laughs> and and this one was hands down the best looking helmet I I've tested so far this year. Nice. Um, just looks really nice. It's like simple. I have a plain white one and a plain black one for some reason. And mm. uh, yeah, it's just like super comfortable. Breathes pretty well. It's got all the safety specifications you could want. Kind of all the bells and whistles. You can use goggles with it or glasses as you like. There's a place to stick a GoPro to it if you need to. I don't know. Wow. It kind of nice. does does everything and it looks cool. So Yeah. Sweet. But yeah, we we used to survey our members every year to find out their favorite gear. It's been a few years since we've done that and, and maybe we'll start that back up again. But the Fox helmets were always at the top of the list uh among our users and, and I think I think a lot of it is because of the look first and foremost. I mean, they look good and and they're comfortable. And like you said, they check all the other, you know, safety boxes and stuff, but, um, and they're also, they're usually priced, you know, kind of middle of the market. They're not super expensive, but they're also not, not the cheapest helmets out there. Um, but yeah, good overall value. So for me, I tested a few pairs of shorts this year. Um, seems like I always have like way too many pairs of mountain bike shorts <laughs> that I'm trying out. And we, po- we published at least two short roundups this year, maybe three. I can't even keep track anymore, but, um, 
Of the ones I tested this year, the Gore C5 all-mountain shorts were probably my favorites and really stood out as being a good wearable choice this year. They're really lightweight shorts. Um, I had another pair of Gore, uh, I think they're also called the C5s shorts uh, that were more minimalist than these all-mountain version, but both really lightweight, well-vented. They're not super baggy either, which I like. I like something that's a little more fitted and, and cut so that it's not like flapping around or getting caught on things. And yeah, it's got some cool ventilation where you can like unzip the legs to kind of open them up more. And there's like vented fabric in there. And yeah, just overall and a good length too. They, for me, I'm tall and skinny. And so a lot of times, Shorts that are going to fit me in the waist are going to be a little too short. They're going to be above the knee for me. And these these go below the knee, which is nice. They're a little pricey, 130 bucks without a liner. But again, yeah, I think for what they offer, they're they're priced pretty fairly um, and and worth it. I would also give an honorable mention to some Tasco gloves that I've been testing out this year. Tasco is known for these sort of like minimalist gloves. That's kind of, I think that's probably one of the first products they came out with was their own gloves and people are, can customize them too. So you see like different brands or like promotional items, um, being made from these Tasco gloves, but they're, they're super comfortable. And, you know, because they're pretty minimalist, like they, they're good for summer riding, especially where I live where it gets super hot and like, thicker gloves man they just soak up like even more sweat and they just feel like wet and soggy all the time whereas the tasco gloves like they get wet and soggy but at least like i don't know they still feel a little breathable because they are so thin though they do wear pretty quickly and one pair that i had it was a little too small i think was was part of the problem and so like my fingers were poking out of the ends of the glove after like just a few rides. Um, but I did, I ended up getting at a bigger size and they've lasted much longer. I don't think those have holes in them at all, but still I wouldn't expect to get more than like one season of hard riding out of them. Um, which I don't know at this point in my life, like I feel like I deserve to give myself a new set of gloves every summer, you know, like, (laughs) sure. Like, don't hold on to them, you know? I mean, yeah. it's like socks, too. We, we, like, keep them around with holes in them, and they're, like, half as thick as when we got them, you know? At some point, you just need to move on. And they're cheap. They're cheap, right? Gloves, 30 bucks, 25 30 bucks. All right, Matt, finish this off in the wearables category. What else were you stoked on this year? All right, here we go. Um, so on the shorts topic, uh, these Nerona shorts... Jero, I think you sent me the email for that and um, just to connect me with them. And yeah, hands down my favorite pair of bike shorts yet. Um, Jeff, kind of like you were mentioning, they have more of like a tailored feel. They're not too baggy. Um, The waist is easily adjustable. There's just like these little metal hooks and tabs and Velcro on on both sides of your hips. So I don't know. Like I'm always adjusting the waist on my mountain bike shorts. I feel like my, my weight just kind of fluctuates so much, even depending on the time of day. And like COVID hasn't, hasn't helped me out in that department (laughs) this summer. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, they're just really light feeling. They don't feel hot and they feel really durable and they look good. They're just like a, a tailored uh, khaki short that, you know, it's water resistant. Um, just really, really good pair of shorts. And yeah, I've been digging these club ride jerseys. Um, they're kind of like club ride staple jersey where it's like a plaid button up Western style shirt, but they're all just really thin. They feel great. Um, armpit ventilation. They just, yeah, they feel really, really light, which is nice on like these hot dry summers out here. Yeah. And they look good in a, in a pub afterwards. So (laughs) yeah, I'm stoked. I forgot about my club ride. I've got like one of those jerseys you're describing, but like a thicker one, Mm -hmm. like more of a fall or winter weight and yeah, I forgot about that thing because I haven't been able to wear it for like six months. So <laughs> I start yeah. to like dig it out of the back of the closet and start wearing it again. Yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm getting a little bit older now. Whereas like before I'd only wear TLD and Fox and stuff that made me look fast. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and these are way more casual, but they're just super comfortable. They've got kind of a tailored feel to them too. Like they're not too baggy because really baggy button ups just make you look like that dad at the barbecue and the memes. And <laughs> right. Well, the one so. thing though, that I will say, like the button up to me is, I mean, it's almost like a technical feature for bike stuff because mm-hmm. it's like natural ventilation, you know, like between the buttons, you're going to get good airflow. And, and then obviously you can like yeah, unbutton yeah. it from the top or the bottom, like depending on how you're trying to ventilate or what you're wearing it with. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of like the button up Jersey like that. Yeah. Last I'd say is, uh, these pair of hundred percent Ligurys. They're like an, what'd you call it? Like an active, uh, sports casual sunglass or something like that. I've even since I was a kid, like I've always just liked nice pairs of sunglasses to wear around town and stuff. And these are they're really great, like casual looking sunglasses and they're not too expensive for like a really nice pair of sunglasses. I think they start at just over a hundred bucks. So really not too crazy. Nice. Is it like a full frame too? And and if so, can you change the lenses in them? No, these are, they're fixed lens. Um, really like, I guess they're more round California beach style sunglasses. They're super light. Like they're, they're like less than 20 grams um, and they're really unique looking too. I didn't think I would like them at first and now I love them. Um, but they work like I, I've forgot my riding glasses, uh, at home before and had these in the car cause I wore them to the trailhead and, and they still work. They stay in place. Not the best, um, coverage from wind and everything if you're doing a really fast ride, but they, uh, they stay right where they need to. So nice. Cool. All right. So the category that we've all been waiting for mountain bikes that we tested this year are our favorites. And yeah, over the last few weeks, we've been doing some like looking back on the content we've posted this year and just looking at the enduro mountain bikes that we tested in 2020, I counted 14 different bikes, which is huge. I mean, like I don't know. I, I don't follow other mountain bike publications super closely. And I know that, that a lot of them do these like roundup tests where they'll go out and, you know, test a bunch of bikes at once. But I suspect that 
few of them are able to do 14 bikes. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's a big, big collection of bikes. And hopefully it's helpful for people who are maybe considering one of those bikes, you know, looking for a new enduro bike this season or maybe next season. Yeah. And that's not to mention the trail bikes or the XC bikes or, or all the other ones we've tested. So I want to ask you guys about your favorite bikes that you tested this year out of all the categories. So could be any kind of bike, um, enduro to, you know, cross country to trail downhill. If you tested one, I don't know. I don't think we maybe, maybe did one or two downhill bikes, but Jero, I'll let you start off. What was one of your favorites so far this year? Okay. I did ride a downhill bike this year, but I'm not going to count it. Uh, uh, however, all of these are kind of downhill bikes. Um, and in no particular order, cause they're all really awesome for different reasons. Uh, it was a toss up to pick either the Santa Cruz mega tower or the specialized enduro. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both kind of the, the particular models I tested are in a similar, like six to $7,000 price range with pretty similar builds, uh, carbon wheels, code brakes, like they're. Yeah, they're they're pretty similar in a lot of ways and then ride differently. I think I chose the Mega Tower out of those two because I really I really like the sort of the fact that it does feel like a race bike. It you absolutely are ready to show up to any enduro race on that bike the way it comes out of the box apart from the tires. And then it's also like just fun to ride all the time. Um, you know, I'd be happy like doing a full day adventure with a bunch of climbing like it doesn't feel super heavy even though it isn't the lightest bike i don't remember what it weighed but it's it's not light but yeah it's like it pedals super well it's easy to pedal uh i think the bike was a little bit oversprung with the coil shock that i had on it so i never had to use the lockout switch um it was plenty of support yeah it was just uh, it seems obvious, but super, super fun to ride downhill, just ride fast and plow through things. It's a, it's a bike that you can kind of go past your skill level on for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was recently reading your review of the specialized enduro and you compared it a lot, said it was same thing that it was really similar to the mega tower. But yeah, I wanted to ask you like, what about ride feel? I mean, I think you kind of just hinted at, at that, that there's, they're similar in terms of spec and price and they're both from big brands and they're well-known models, but, but do they have a similar ride feel? Yes. Somewhat similar for sure. I mean, if you hopped on one and couldn't see it and you had ridden them both before and somebody was like, which bike are you on? You would definitely know. (laughs) You would know for sure. One, because the mega tower I rode has, I mean, they're different bikes and they feel different. But also the Mega Tower that I rode had a coil and the the Enduro had a an air shock. Um, although it can also take a coil. Um the I would say that the Mega Tower feels a little more like a plow, like a little a little less playful, not a ton, but man, maybe that's the coil. Maybe it's the way that I had the bike set up, I'm not sure. Um the Enduro feels a little lighter, a little more on the side of a trail bike than the mega tower. The mega tower is like, yep, this is an enduro bike. It's made to go really fast downhill. Um, and that's not to say that the enduro is not, it's just that's sort of the, the small distinction I would make. 
Interesting. Matt, you sounds like you have a enduro bike on your list of favorites from this year and you, you tested all three of us tested a number of bikes. So, um, yeah. What, what was one of your favorites of the enduros that you rode? I really like the pivot switchblade. Uh, so I got a day in on this when, well, shortly after it came out, uh, when I was in Sedona and then when I was in Marquette, a month and a half or two months ago, I spent a couple more days on the switchblade also. And I loved it. Yeah. I mean, again, sorry, I feel like I'm just picking up a, a bunch of really expensive stuff and pivots are not cheap. So the base level starts at like five grand for something that qualifies as an enduro bike. And I guess maybe this is lighter enduro, but Eddie Masters also won uh, like a world level enduro. Maybe it was like Crankworx Rotorua on this bike, I think. But for something that is enduro capable downhill, it the acceleration and how light and stiff it is, it just climbs so well. Um, yeah, I mean, just really snappy acceleration. It's light. You can spend all day on the saddle on this thing. And it, I mean, it feels like a lighter trail bike. Um, and the downhill performance is just, it's really impressive with, how well it climbs. Um, it's playful. It's, it's snappy. And I mean, I feel like all pivots are stiff. So, but yeah, I had, I loved it. I would, I would buy it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I didn't test a lot of enduro bikes, maybe none. I don't know. Depends what you call enduro, but one of my favorites was a trail bike from Canyon, the spectral, uh, which is a 27.5 bike, not that that matters, but definitely not a race bike. It's just a fun bike that um, is going to be good for a lot of riders, a lot of conditions too. This one is, you know, because it's a Canyon, Canyon is known for providing a good value. And this is, it's probably their cheapest build of the Spectral. It's 2,800 bucks shipped to your house. And I honestly, I didn't really think I was going to like the bike as much as I did. It really ended up surprising me and just feeling really good going up the hill and also really good going down. Um, one of the things, too, that really stood out to me is just what an awesome job Canyon does in terms of the like shipping and bike setup. Like it's almost like you're opening up a, a iPhone like out of the box, like everything, like everything fits in the box all nice and neat, like you know, they have all these straps and things like to keep the bike safe in shipment. And then the instructions are like really clear. They include all the tools that you need to set it up and everything. Um, and then I also, I have currently have a YT ISO in for test and same thing, you know, again, another direct to consumer brand and their whole like, you know, setup process is super dialed. Like it's really, it's really fun. And as if I were a consumer, I would feel super comfortable. Like once that, that box showed up that like I can get it set up, um, that I'm not really going to have any questions and everything. So yeah, I'm really impressed and hopefully other brands will, you know, be able to follow in that and, and just make the whole process like way more user friendly. Um, but yeah, I really like the spectral, just a great bike for everywhere that I ended up riding it, you know, whether it was, like local trails or, you know, I could still take it to the mountains and ride it all day. Um, yeah, just a really good bike. And I, I probably would 
that's one I would I would buy for myself um, if it if it wasn't for the wheels, which I hate to say, maybe it sounds snobby, but like yeah, no 29er wheels. If it was a 29er, like it would it would be perfect for me and more from a practical standpoint too. Because like I said, the ride feel was great. Like I didn't really have any complaints, especially no complaints about the wheels or the wheel size. Um, yeah, you're a tall guy and you put on a lot of cross country miles too. So it makes sense that you'd be in a 29er. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, it's, I mean, yeah, maybe it's more practical for me too. I just don't want to have to like keep track of different size tubes and tires and all that stuff in my garage. But yeah, anyway, so Jero, what about you? What what else made your top list of bikes for 2020? So I guess the next bike I would mention is the Mondraker Foxy 29RR, which is a really easy name and it's short to say. Um, I think it's a 150-160 millimeter 29er, if I remember right. And then they also have the Super Foxy that's 160-170, or maybe it's even larger than that. I'm not, not 100% on that. But uh, this bike I rode is, it felt lighter than almost any other big enduro bike I'd ridden. It felt more like a trail bike, but a really long one. It was the first uh, first bike with a 470 millimeter reach that I'd ridden. And that took, yeah, that took some getting used to. I think it had a 66 degree head tube angle. So they kind of brought their front tire back a little bit with that, but. I think the thing that I liked about the bike is that it took me some getting used to, and I kind of didn't like it at first. And then I spent a lot of time on it and really focused on like, what does this bike want me to do? How am I supposed to ride it? And then I just loved it. I was like, Oh, I get it. This is amazing. <laughs> so it was a cool feeling to be like, Oh, all right. The, this is just designed differently and you have to ride it a little differently. You have to wait yourself in a way that I wasn't used to. And, yeah, it was a, it was just a really cool experience and a really fun bike. It's more playful than a lot of big leggy 29ers that I've ridden. Um yeah, it's got some really good pop. It doesn't uh somebody will argue with me about this for sure, but it probably doesn't work well with a coil. It's definitely it comes with an air shock and it should probably stay with one. It's got a super linear uh progression curve, so yeah, but it feels feels really good with the air shock it comes with and yeah it's just a really fun fun bike nice all right matt what else made your top list for this year yeah i would say the one other bike that really stands out as worth being mentioned is the fazari delano peak and it's for a couple of reasons so Fazari is a brand. Um, if you're not familiar with them, they're a direct consumer company out of Utah, obviously Italian name, obviously rhymes with an Italian sports car, which people like to, uh, mention a lot. Um, (laughs) but yeah, as a company, it's just, it, they do a lot of really, really good things to make the consumer happy. I mean, one that Delano Peak, so it's an aggressive trail bike, uh, 135 millimeters of travel in the rear with a 150 fork. And I tested the very base level model. I think it was called the comp build, but it's 3,500 bucks, full carbon frame, um, DVO suspension, 
Shimano SLX drivetrain and Shimano four piston brakes, um, WTB rims. So nothing special there, but good tires too, like an aggressor in the rear and a minion DHF up front. And it's just a really good component spec. Um, it makes sense for the kind of bike that it is. DVO suspension worked great. And again, it's like you're getting a full carbon bike with a really good geometry, um, a good component package for 3,500 bucks. And it's super fun to ride. Like it's, yeah, it feels, it feels dialed. If I had this bike five years ago when I was racing more Enduros on, um, my Enduro bike I had at the time from five years ago, I probably would have done a lot better on this bike. And that's saying that this is like a $3,500 component package versus like a lot more money that I had put in for that time. But, you know, and if you spend another thousand bucks, you can get, um, I think it's all Shimano XT spec on this. So it's like 4,500 bucks and you would get a Shimano XT 12 speed group set with XT four piston brakes. And I mean, this $3,500 build ripped. And so I can, if it was me and I was buying it and I would definitely consider buying this, I would spend an extra thousand, get the XT group set. And yeah, that thing would, would rip. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's fun to imagine like coming back from the future and racing and in a race (laughs) with a modern mountain bike. That could be pretty cool. So my other favorite from this year, um, I finished up testing it like early this year, like back in January was a hardtail from a small brand named Sage, uh, out of the Pacific Northwest. Um, I tested their newest mountain bike, which was the Sage power line. And it's a titanium hardtail. The company, I believe they only make, uh, titanium bikes. So it's definitely pricey. Uh, the build I tested was $8,000, which is a lot for a hardtail. You're not, you're not imagining things. Definitely a lot. Um, not super practical for a lot of people, but it is such a nice ride. And it's actually surprisingly versatile. You know, if you are, like trying to convince a significant other or somebody that like, yes, I should spend $8,000 on a hardtail. Uh, <laughs> you know, I will say that like it works well as a everyday rider, you know, you can ride this bike every day and it's, it's should hold up well to that kind of abuse. Um, but it, it would also be really well suited to a bike packing rig, or you could even race on it. You know, this, build that I tested was like just over 26 pounds. So pretty lightweight. I mean, not like carbon fiber, hardtail XC race bike light, but, um, definitely much lighter than any of the other bikes I tested this year. Um, and you know, the geometry is, is again, it's like not super racy. So, you know, it's going to be a comfortable bike to ride, but um, at the same time, you know, is super efficient and, and really dialed. And I enjoyed testing it for sure. All right, Drew, one last bike from you. And this one, this one's going to be an affordable one, right? This one is affordable. Uh, I think it comes in around 1,700 euros. I'm not sure what it is in the U.S. or even if you can buy it there. But uh, yeah, the Privateer 161 is kind of the bike that 
is my flavor. I think it's it's the bike I would buy of all the bikes I rode this year. Yeah, it's a fairly simple horse link suspension design, super durable. Like everything is external. <laughs> there's no like, there's no uh, making you work for it. Like every mechanic's going to be happy with this bike. Um, nice big bearings. It's made to ride in the mud and last. It's totally designed around EWS racing, hence the name Privateer. And uh, I really wanted to test out a bike that Alistair Beckett had designed and and this is one of one of his designs so it's been really cool to to check it out it's got the same reach as the Mondraker so getting used to that all over again um but longer chain stays so it's a more stable bike and i've got it built up with coil suspension front and rear and downhill tires and everything else you could want to put on a bike to make it go really really (laughs) fast and stick to the ground and it does that super well it's super fun to ride really fast on um i'm gonna try it with some air sprung suspension in the future and see if we can make it playful as well i imagine so so yeah just a really really great race bike and it's also fun to just go ride i mean the last weekend i rode it for about four hours and almost three of those were climbing probably more than three and i didn't want to be on any other bike it was great it's got an 80 degree seat tube angle so it's like way pushing the limit on that kind of like the yt Izzo. it's like you know really trying to figure out how to make a super long reach feel short and make a big bike climbable and i think they did a great job with it yeah yeah that's cool well it's like um the their head company the rider firm also owns hunt which are the wheels that i was talking about and it it's super cool what they're doing as a company because they're making really durable abusable stuff for not expensive at all so yeah i mean they're they're kind of taking that uh, marketing tagline like we make stuff we want to ride a lot further mm-hmm. and they're like yeah we make stuff we want to ride that will last and that we could afford mm-hmm. so i think they're doing a great job <laughs> yeah yeah nice and yeah you mentioned alistair the product designer the frame designer on that one and uh yeah for those who are interested and want to hear more uh we had alistair as a guest on the podcast a few weeks back um, so definitely check that one out. All right. Well, it's so good. Yes. <laughs> well, we've run out of products and time here, but if you want to learn more about these items that we mentioned, uh, we'll have them listed in the show notes. And of course, every one of these things, uh, we've reviewed on single tracks. We've written a full review, you know, thousand words or more, uh, and go into a lot more detail and we have more photos and things like that so be sure to check the website well that's all we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week